Well, good morning, Gospel Hope, and we're going to dive into God's Word today in Luke chapter 14 and simply talk about the, this message that I've entitled, The Amazingness of Grace. Let's pray briefly and ask for the Lord's help one more time. Father, would you draw near? Would you open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your law? Help us. Help us to see the preciousness of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Hey, I want to invite everybody to do a little, very simple exercise with me, something that you've probably done a hundred or a thousand times before. And it's simply this. I want you to send a text message right now to somebody with the simple words, how are you today? That seems easy enough. But before you start twiddling your thumbs and typing away, I want to add a little wrinkle to this exercise. I want you to close your eyes. Go ahead, close your eyes right now and try to send a message to somebody that simply says, how are you today? Very simple, go ahead. Now, look, I get it. That's a very simple thing that you've done lots and lots of times, but when you take away your ability to see it, it makes something that's very easy normally for you, very difficult. And by the way, I'm not responsible if you guys sent any crazy text to somebody in your contact list. That is on you. I didn't force anybody to do anything. I just suggested it, all right? Um, you know, the reason why that easy task became very difficult is because you and I are very, very dependent on our sight. We depend on our sight for so many different things that we are even unaware of it. Um, but, and yet, of this, in spite of this fact, even though we are very dependent on our eyes, I bet that few, if any of you, woke up this morning feeling an overwhelming sense of gratitude for the ability to see. I doubt that anybody hit the floor this morning and stood up and said, Woo! Praise the Lord! I have the ability to see. Although we all know that sight is a very precious gift. It is something that we are very dependent on. For whatever reason it is, it is something that we are very prone to take for granted. We just don't think about it and we just think, well, I have the ability to see and so I don't think about it that much. Now, I don't say that to condemn anyone at all, but to illustrate a point that it is quite possible for you and I to take extremely significant gifts for granted. I bring this up this morning because I think that is exactly what is happening here in Luke chapter 14 in the parable of the great banquet. You see, in this parable, Jesus is sitting here. He's at a dinner guest and he's there with a bunch of religious leaders. Um, when Jesus began talking about God's great banquet as his way to refer to the kingdom of heaven and eternity with God, some of the religious leaders simply assumed that they would be present, that they would be the guest of honor. They would be invited to this feast. But the reality was these same people who consistently opposed and offered, often rejected Jesus were the ones that thought they would be there. They simply didn't see their need for Jesus. And that is why Jesus consistently said things like this to him. It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The religious leaders saw themselves as healthy, and so they didn't need Jesus. They took him for granted, as it were. And yet, in spite of this, they were convinced that they would hold positions of honor in God's kingdom. 
They say, Ryan, where are you going with this? It's this simple idea. When grace is underestimated, then Christ is undervalued. You see, when we don't realize how dependent we are on God's grace, when we don't know how desperately sick and helpless we are without the grace and mercy of God, then Jesus is just not very precious to us. He really isn't our true treasure. But Jesus, in his love for the religious leaders and for us, tells this parable to remind them and to remind us that we are all desperately needy. And friends, when you realize how needy you are, when I realize how needy I am before the Lord, it is then and only then that Jesus becomes our treasure. So here's where I'm going this morning. If we are to treasure Christ, we must see our need for him. If Jesus is to be our treasure, we have to see how desperately we need him. Let me give you just kind of a silly illustration about this. A, a, a few years ago, Pastor Rod actually gave me uh, this kind of strange little Christmas gift. Have you ever seen one of these before? They're called a tile. And you hook them on your key ring, and if you press a button on it, it pings your phone and tells you where your keys are at. Well, when I got it and unwrapped the package, I was like, man, what is this thing? And I was like, oh, tile, I've never seen one of those before. And Pastor Rod explained to me what it was, and my response in that moment was kind of like, oh, wow, that's cool. Uh, this is a pretty awesome idea. And then I hooked it on my keychain, and a few days later, I lost my keys. I was able to take my phone and press the button on the app and boop, and all of a sudden, my keys started making sound, and I found them in a moment. Rather than wanderingly, aimlessly around the house, pulling things out of drawers, trying to search every coat pocket, looking in my shoes, searching my wife's purse, I was able to go directly to where the keys were because I had had this little device. You see, I didn't know that I needed it, and so it wasn't that precious to me. But in the moment when I needed it, I all of a sudden realized that this actually is a treasure. Thanks, Pastor Rod, by the way. Good, thoughtful gift. In a similar way in this passage, Jesus is attempting to show us that he's not nice to have. He's not like a cool little gadget or a nice little feature. He is absolutely essential to our lives. And I think in this parable, what Jesus is doing is he plainly is spelling out to us why all of us, every single human being on planet Earth needs him and therefore should treasure him. Or if I could say it very succinctly, all humans share a need for the Savior. Oh man, we are different in many ways. There is diversity and beauty in that diversity. We, even at Gospel Hope Church, are young and old and black and white and rich and poor. We are all across the spectrum. And yet, one thing all of us share is this, a desperate need for the Savior. And because of that, Jesus should be precious to each and every one of us. So I want to talk about here briefly this morning three reasons while we all need Jesus. The first one is simply this. We all need Jesus because no one is entitled to God's blessing. As I mentioned earlier, Jesus was at this dinner and as he was talking uh, about the great banquet that was one day coming, one of the guests pipes up 
And he says this, Luke chapter 16, 14, verse number 15. Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. In other words, this man simply assumed that he would be welcome into God's feast with open arms. Perhaps this was because he was a religious leader, or perhaps it was because of the company that he took. But Jesus seems to challenge this assumption, and he tells a very straightforward parable. Look at verse 16. A man was giving a large banquet and invited many. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to those who were invited. Come, because everything is now ready. But without exception, they all began to make excuses. The first one said, I've bought a field and I must go and see it. I ask you to excuse me. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. I ask you to excuse me. And another said, I just got married and therefore I'm unable to come. So all the respectable people, all the good folks, as it were, who you would expect to be at this feast are no-shows. I think this is Jesus's not so subtle way of telling the Pharisees and people like them not to simply assume that they will be included in God's kingdom. And notice in this parable, all the people are doing good things. They're not doing evil things. They're buying a field. They're purchasing oxen. They're getting married. I mean, what could be better than getting married? These are all positive things. And yet, Jesus is extracting from their excuses and their neglect to show up at the feast a principle that is this. We must not allow the good to distract us from the best. Oh, friends, let us not allow the pursuit of our career, a good thing, or our kids' athletics, a good thing, or saving for retirement, a good thing, or an enjoyable hobby, a good thing to keep us from focusing on the priorities of heaven. The common error of the Pharisees throughout the New Testament was that they thought they, because they were good people doing good things, which they were, they were good people doing good things. They were somehow deserving of God's favor. They were entitled to God's blessing. They had earned God's grace. But the message of this parable is reminding us that no one is deserving by default. None of us are simply earning of God's favor. We don't deserve God's favor because we are good people. And here in the South, this remains a needed reminder. Look, you Southerners are nice people. I'm from the North, so I could say you Southerners, but I love Atlanta and this is my home, so I'm not excluding myself from that. You Southerners are nice people, or maybe I should translate it. Y'all are nice. You know, that, that, that's the idea. You go down south, there's just this friendly, nice, church-going folk that live down there. But just because you grew up in the church, or just because you're very polite, or just because you stayed out of trouble, or your granddaddy was a pastor, or you serve in the community, or you give to charity, or you care about social issues, all of those things are wonderful things, but none of them mean that you are entitled to God's blessing. According to the Bible, no one is. Romans 3, verse number 10. There is no one righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is no one who seeks after God. What is more, this parable is a warning that it is quite possible for us to be so preoccupied with noble endeavors, good things, that we miss the ultimate priority, namely Christ himself. 
Look, Jesus will never be precious to us if we believe we are doing just fine without him. Christ will never be your treasure if you think you're good enough on your own. And the first reminder of this parable is that none of us, not a single human being who has ever walked the face of the earth apart from the Lord Jesus Christ himself is entitled or intrinsically deserving of God's blessing. And that's why we all need Jesus. The second thing is this, no one is exempt from God's judgment. Jesus doesn't simply say that, hey, no one's deserving in and of themselves of God's blessing, but he actually goes a step further and informs us that we are not going to escape God's judgment apart from the grace of God. Look at verse number 21. So the servant came back and reported these things to the master. That's all the people that made excuses. Then in anger, key word there, the master of the house told his servant, skip down to verse 24, for I tell you, not one of those people who were, invi I, were invited will enjoy my banquet. Huh. The Lord is not ambivalent about the rejection of his invitation. That is, he doesn't have mixed emotions about it. No, the Lord is actually angry. That is exactly what the text says. And in the Bible's usual unconventionality, things are turned upside down. And those who you would expect to be at the banquet are completely excluded. Or as the Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, verse number 23, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Look, these people that, that thought they had a right to be at God's banquet, in fact, are excluded and end up facing the judgment of God. No one escapes God's judgment apart from the work of Jesus. And listen, I know this theme of judgment is far from a popular topic today, but nevertheless, it is a biblical one. You see, the consistent teaching of scripture is that apart from Christ, Every single human being that has ever walked the face of the earth is, is an object of God's wrath. Ephesians chapter 2, verse number 3. We too all were by nature children under wrath. And this is precisely why Jesus should be our treasure. You see, according to the Bible, the guns of God's wrath were aimed and locked in on sinners like you and I. We, we were the objects, the target of God's wrath. And yet, in his kindness and love and mercy, God sent Jesus to earth to live the life we should have lived and died the death we should have died. And on the cross, God took the guns that were trained on people like you and I and turned them on his son. And he didn't just point them at Jesus. He unloaded every last round. On the cross, Jesus bore the wrath of God that sinners like you and I deserved. As it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse number 18, Christ also suffered once for all, the righteous, that's Jesus, for the unrighteous, that's you and I. Why? That he might bring you to God. Oh, friends, this is good news. The word of the Bible is this. God's wrath is inevitable. 
but it is also, because of Jesus, avoidable. Oh, wonder of wonders, grace of grace, Jesus came and took our place. Perhaps you're like me, and we and you do not treasure Jesus like you should. He is not as precious to you as he should be because you are prone to forget that while we were still helpless, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person, perhaps someone might even dare die. But God proves his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Perhaps you forget that he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment of our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. We all went astray like sheep. We have all turned our own way and, and bless God. He has laid on him the punishment for the iniquity of us all. Or perhaps you like me are prone to forget that love consists in this, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Oh, Jesus should be precious to every one of us because it is only through Jesus that we escape the inevitable wrath of God. I want to do something a little bit unusual right now because I want us to remember, remember the preciousness of our Savior. I want us to sing right now. I want us to lift our voices and sing in praise to the one who took our place and spared us from the judgment of God. So let's lift our voices to the one who died in our place.
Oh, church, it is good to remind ourselves that Christ died for us. It is good for us to remember that in my place, condemned he stood. The third reason that we all need Jesus is simply this. No one is excluded from God's mercy. Look, we should all treasure Jesus because absolutely no one is beyond the reach of his mercy. Remember in the parable, after the good people rejected the invitation to the banquet, the Lord broadens the net. Look at verse 21. So the servant came back and reported these things to the master. Then in anger, the master of the house told his servant, go up quickly into the streets and alleys of the city and bring in here the poor and the maimed and the blind and the lame. Look, typically the poor, maimed, blind and lame did not get invited to parties, but this did not stop the Lord. In fact, he broadens the net even wider. Look at verse number 22. Master, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done and there is still room. Then the master told his servants, go out into the highways and the hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. Most biblical commentators agree that this is a reference to the fact that because of the work of Jesus, God's kingdom coming kingdom would extend beyond the borders of ethnic Israel and include non-Jewish people as well. The idea is that the gospel is a beautiful message of inclusive exclusivity. That is, through Jesus, there is one way to God, open to anyone and everyone who would believe. Or as maybe the most famous verse in all of the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now notice these next two words, so that everyone who believes in him would, have, would not perish, but would have eternal life. This remains a deeply powerful word for us today. For it means that no matter your background, no matter your history, no matter your failures, no matter your culture, no matter the color of your skin, no matter your political affiliation, no matter what you've done or what's been done to you, you have an invitation to God's great feast. Listen to me. Everybody listening to the sound of my voice right now, I want you to hear these words. You are invited. You are invited to God's kingdom. If I could put it another way, let me say it like this. Nothing in you, nothing in you can disqualify you from the grace that is in Christ. No sin in you is greater than the mercy that is in Christ. No brokenness in you is greater than the healing that is in Christ. You are welcome. All who would believe in Jesus may come and heed this invitation. And here's the kicker. Look at verse number 23. Then the master told the servant, go out into the highways and hedges and make them come in for my house will be filled. Now that word make there, it, it doesn't have the idea of like, you know, twist somebody's arm behind their back or grab them and throw them in. It, it's the concept of like plead with them or persuade them or do everything in your power to compel them to listen to the invitation. You see, the Lord, to the Lord, you are not an, an unnecessary or a necessary inconvenience. You are an honored guest. Have you ever been to somebody's home where you have been welcomed? 
Man, I recently stayed at some friend's house and they were like, hey, come in. There's, there's drinks in the fridge. There's coffee over here. Help yourself. Oh no, sit down over here. They were just bending over backwards to express to me, you are welcome. You're not inconvenient. We want you here. And friend, this is the father's disposition toward you. He welcomes you to his feast. He wants you. You're not just, uh, you know, some, some distant aunt or cousin who you feel compelled to invite to your wedding. No, Jesus is out there saying, come, come, my house will be full, full, and I want you to be a part of it. Listen to the words of Isaiah to hear about how God feels towards you. Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water. And you without silver, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Jesus has paid everything that is necessary for us to come to this feast. So all you have to do is just bring yourself. The beauty of the gospel is this. We need God, but he wants us. We need him, but he wants us. What a wonderful message this is and a reminder that Jesus should be our treasure because no one, no one is excluded. No one is beyond the reach of God's mercy and grace. So where does this all leave us? My encouragement to every single one of us this morning would simply be this. We need to move from craving our independence from God to celebrating our dependence on God. Look, you are needy. I'm needy. Every human being on the face of the earth is needy. We are not entitled. We don't deserve God's favor, but we can have it. We are dependent. God is independent. We are full of neediness and friends. That's okay. That's the reason that Jesus sent his son into the earth. You know, right now in the season of life that I'm in, uh, one of my jobs as a father is to put Lila, our littlest one, in bed. You know, part of our routine is simply this. I read to her and rock her. And sometimes when I'm holding her right before bed, she fights me a bit. It's, it's as if somehow she believes that she's better off on her own. Like, that. I could take care of this. I'm two years old. I'm fine. But the reality is she's not. That doesn't make any sense. But then I take Lila up in my arms as I'm holding her and rocking her. And I say, Lila, sweetie, put your head down. Let's rock a bye. And she eventually acquiesces. And then once she's sleepy, I lift her up and I lay her down in the bed. I think that's a beautiful picture for all of us. We need to start wrestling against the Lord and start resting in the Lord. Yes, We need him. We are dependent on him. But child of God, he's got you. He won't drop you. He won't let you down. He relishes your neediness because his arms are strong. He will comfort you. He will protect you. He will take care of you. And here's the reality. When we acknowledge our neediness and God's trustworthiness, then Christ really begins to become precious to us. Perhaps we're struggling to really treasure Jesus as we ought because we have forgotten how needy we are. I want to remind you, you are needy. 
And that's okay because God is strong and loving and merciful. And he sent his son so that he might scoop you up and take care of you. And so because of that, he should be so precious to you. So I want to close by simply offering a couple of suggestions as to how we can live this out. I want right now, I know we do this often at Gospel Hope, but I want us to right now confess our dependence. Take a moment and right now talk to the Lord about your need for him. Let's just pause and do that. Father, we need you. We are broken and hopeless without you. And I pray that we would not strive for independence from you, but strive to depend on you. Oh Lord, teach us to be dependent children of our heavenly father. In Christ we pray, amen. And the second thing I want to encourage you to do is simply this, cultivate your dependence. I wanna urge you to ask yourself this question. What is one thing you can do this week to demonstrate that you are dependent on God and that Christ is your treasure? How can you use your time to demonstrate that you really treasure Christ? How can you leverage your talents to show that you treasure Christ? How can you use your resources to show that you treasure Christ? Let's be people who, because we see our neediness and we see God's dependability, then we say, Christ is my treasure. He is worth far more than anything. Look, if we are to treasure Jesus, then we must see our neediness before him. All humans share a need for the Savior. So let's depend on him.